Hello, hello, and welcome to Dubliners by Dubliners, the podcast where we discuss the short story collection Dubliners by James Joyce. I'm John Feather. And I'm Lachlan Coyne. This month, we're covering the fourth story in the collection, Evelyn. Just before we get started, uh, I wanted to give a brief warning that this story does cover topics of domestic violence, so listeners who are sensitive to those topics should be advised. By the time you're listening to this episode, you'll hopefully have listened to the first three episodes. Uh, we released them all in one batch. Uh, from here on, we're going to be releasing episodes once a month. Uh, if you want to stay informed about when we release episodes and maybe other content related to the podcast, you can check out our Instagram, Twitter and Facebook accounts using the handle by Dubliners, or you can email us at bydubliners at gmail.com. One of the pieces of feedback we've gotten after releasing the first few stories was people have been asking us, do we need to read this story before we listen to your podcast? The answer is, well, ideally, yes. Uh, I think you'll, you'll probably enjoy the podcast more if you have a, a grounding in the story. But we do summarize at the start of each episode uh, what the story is about. So from now on, also, if you're, if you're interested in reading the story, they are available online free. Uh, so we'll be linking a, a copy of the story in podcast notes. Uh, this month's story, Evelyn, is covering the theme of emigration. And so in order to provide maybe a bit more context about emigration in Ireland uh, and how, it, how it's developed over time and, and experience of emigration, I'll hand over to my co-host, Lachlan. Thanks, John. So as anyone who is Irish will absolutely know, Ireland is a heavily emigrant population or has a, a strong correlation or a strong relationship with uh, with emigration. We represent nearly 50% or 46%, I believe, of Americans have some degree of Irish heritage in, in their background. The Irish population peaked in the middle of the 19th century at around 8.5 million and is still today even just uh, half that nearly. The main causes or triggers, I suppose, for, for emigration in the, in the 19th century was the, the famine approximately dated 1845 to 1852, but this was obviously the specific period of the famine and in the years prior to and in the decades post that, the um, the level of access to, I suppose, food and society in general was uh, in collapse in, in Ireland. So as we're reading the, the collection Dubliners and specifically, I suppose, this, this story which deals with emigration, the concepts there, you need to bear in mind that Ireland was experiencing a massive population decline. You were seeing a decay nearly in, in the society. And, and I think really a lot of the collection here speaks to that in general. And specifically, this story deals with the concepts of uh, emigration and, and, and departure from, from the country of Ireland. Essentially, emigration continued throughout the, the 19th century, right up until the beginning of World War One, when I suppose naturally as a result of the economic and political circumstances, the ability of people to, to leave the country and, and move to other countries was uh, severely uh, impacted. Um, another aspect, I suppose, of the immigration story and narrative that, uh, to, to give you some background, was that women made up a disproportionately large percentage of the uh, the emigrants during this period. So this was the first time we were see, you would see both in Irish history and culture and more broadly in the, in the in the world or the field of emigration that uh, that women make up a significant portion of the uh, the emigrant population so that's 
that's interesting. I, I suppose as a, an Irish person, we'd inherently know the the two main destinations for Irish uh, people leaving the, the, the country would have been uh, the UK in the first instance as a, a short boat hop over uh, the water into the, I suppose, the motherland or at least the, the, the domineering force and uh, America would have been the other destination. Historically, I suppose, um, Irish people have always emigrated and, and, and do often emigrate. Uh, both myself and John are uh, either former former immigrants or, or as, as, as I'm sure you're aware from listening already, you know that John is, uh, is, a, is a current immigrant. Uh, I don't know, John, any, any insights or thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I suppose, as you say, Ireland is a, is a country of immigrants. I think our, our experience of emigration is, is very different from what someone would have experienced in the at the time Joyce was writing, or, or the time of the famine, especially, um, you know, we were uh, luxury emigrants. You know, we were well educated in some regards, at least decent career prospects, and you know, we weren't leaving a, a situation of poverty where we needed to leave in order to to survive, um, as as some of the emigrants, especially around the time of the famine, would have had to do. Um, you know, you would have had also forced emigration at that time. Uh, people forced to emigrate from Ireland. I think the the conditions for emigrants at that time in the journey uh, from Ireland, uh, especially around the time of the famine, you know, you had what were known as coffin ships. Mortality rates on those ships could be as high as 30% or more. 30% of the people who got on that ship to leave Ireland never made it to um, their destination. Um, you have tales of sharks following the ships because they knew that so many bodies were being thrown overboard that it would be an easy source of food. And many Irish immigrants uh, found things difficult once they got to their new home countries. Um, many of them found it difficult to get jobs. They didn't have a lot of experience other than working on farms. Um, and I guess as most of them were arriving uh, as poor or poverty-stricken immigrants, it's a sad fact that often when you have a large group of people arriving, a group of poor people especially arriving to a new country, they're often met with racist discrimination and uh, for the Irish it was no different. One last fear that uh, particularly a female Irish immigrant might have would be the risk of uh, being involved in sexual trafficking and in the context of this story, uh, Buenos Aires was seen as the capital of the white slave trade, of white sexual trafficking. It's worth noting that the fear of this in Europe that weighed the actual number of cases, the number of cases wasn't that high, but the fear of it was was massive in Europe at the time. Uh, and it's something that may have been on uh, the mind of an Irish female immigrant at the time. Um, all of which is to say, I guess, that um, although for many people emigration provided a new life and a, a wonderful new opportunities, for many others, it wasn't such a, a, a rosy picture, and many struggled. Yeah, I guess our, our experience of emigration would be very different. Nonetheless, I think even, even contemporary Irish emigrants, in, in many regards, often do go out of, out of an economic basis. Um, you know, you had big waves of emigration from Ireland in the 1950s and the 1980s, and then more recently, around 2008, all based around economic downturns where the job prospects in Ireland weren't that good. There was a lot of, uh, even even graduates from university just couldn't find jobs, couldn't um, find a decent standard of living. Uh, I think now uh, a major motivation for a lot of people emigrating Ireland is also the, the cost of living in Ireland, particularly around the housing market is a motivation you see a lot of people citing for, for why they like, are living abroad. Speaking on a personal level, yeah, I think the, the experience of, of emigration has been, has been uh, 
one that has enriched my life. It's given me some new perspectives on, on, on how I view my country and on how I view my own relation to that country. And yeah, how, how is your experience with emigration, Lachlan? I suppose my in my experience of immigration, it, it, it absolutely is triggered in, in, the, in the main part by economic circumstances. For me, it was more of a, an opportunity to enhance my own personal wealth at the uh, at the expense of my nation but I think as well there's a symbiotic or not even symbiotic there's a strange relationship Ireland has with both the country itself and the the, the concept of Ireland as a nation and its emigration population a huge amount of Ireland's political capital and political strength I think stems from its large diaspora population the uh, Irish people living abroad and living in in other countries who work their way into to, to senior life and maintain a, a strong, I suppose, uh, cultural heritage with uh, so their heretical association with uh, with Ireland as a country, but also see their role and responsibility almost as international protectors of of, of this island nation, this 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 Emerald Isle. Why people emigrate? You know, I think we we've, we've talked about it. it's the it's the economic and the and the political circumstances, the the the, the financial circumstances that uh, force people out of the country. How does this relate to the story? Well, firstly, I mean, a huge theme of the story is 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 immigration, obviously, and I suppose Joyce himself would have experienced immigration. Joyce left Ireland in the around the turn of the twentieth century. Uh, with his partner at the time, Nora Barnacle, and essentially never returned, uh, at least on a, on a full-time basis, back to, back to the island of Ireland and um, spent out the rest of his days living across uh, continental Europe. So I think w- Joyce, in writing this story, is, is, is looking at this very much from the perspective of someone who's socially experienced a lot of emigration happening around him. He's, he's coming from a background, you know, obviously his social upbringing you would have seen a lot of people leaving you would have come through obviously that that famine experience you know seeing seeing your nation's population cut in half essentially through a combination of death disease and emigration is is, is brutal and it, it, it reshapes your mind and i think that that puts in context a lot of um the more derogatory terms and i suppose approaches or considerations that joyce has with regard to to ireland as, as a nation as a culture he, he definitely has a to call it a love-hate relationship, I think is, is is fair, and I think a part of that stems from his emigration. Is there something in, I suppose, the, the idea of the the emigrant as a as a concept is um, quite unique in that you know typically the the expat as uh, as I suppose you're you're referred to when you're when you're living abroad if you're wealthy, they tend to regard the the home nation or, 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 or their their home as a you know this this wonderful majestic place but they never return to it and i and i think joyce has that same struggle with understanding ireland as a country that defines him but equally restricts him and and, and, and confines him that, that that he has to escape from it to be able to to discuss it to conceive of it outside of uh, outside of the context of of, of ireland itself yeah, uh, Joyce, of course, as you mentioned, emigrated uh, from Ireland. Uh, during the period where he wrote this story, he actually was in Ireland. So he, he left Ireland initially to go to Paris, and then he had to return in 1903 because his, his mother was ill. His mother eventually passed away. 
But in the period where he's writing this story, he's, he's just getting ready, I think, to, to leave Ireland again. So he left again in 1904 with uh, Nora Barnacle, his partner. When he was writing this story, the, the topic of emigration and, and his own personal experience of emigration and his own plan to emigrate was on his mind. Um, yeah, I think another thing you touched on there was uh, the impact of, of emigrants on the, on the home country, on, on Ireland itself, so that the emigrants are not only being formed by Ireland, but they're also forming Ireland in some way. And I think, you know, you can even trace the, the foundation of the nation to, to, to the impact of emigrants in some regards, in that they founded, uh, not only did they, they um, fund the War of Independence, they also, you know, helped to, I would say, uh, combat uh, English propaganda in terms of the, the War of Independence, as so the, um, from the English point of view they described they didn't want to describe it as a war they said they were just murder gangs going around and they had this you know this view of 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 what was happening in Ireland that was very contrary to what the Irish nationalists believed and so in order to circulate the Irish nationalist perspective a lot of times they were reliant on Irish immigrants in places like the USA who could uh, you know, forward counter narratives and yeah, raise funds and also exert political pressure, right? Because uh, like the USA and 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 the England or the UK have, you know, a political relationship as well. And so, by exerting pressure inside the USA, it exerts pressure in England. So, yeah, immigrants I think have been fundamental to to shaping Ireland. I, I suppose as well, just to to put in context and to to clarify for the the context of this story. When we're talking about immigration and the type of immigration that I suppose Evelyn, our our, our hero or our protagonist, is is considering in in this story, that is uh, essentially a one way trip. While her her beau Frank is um you know a merchant sailor and is is kind of returning to the homeland and 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 we'll we'll discuss that later. But uh, essentially for Evelyn, this is more likely than not a, a one way trip, and and these goodbyes that that we'll discuss later will be final goodbyes she will never again experience or see these these things it's uh, not a case of hopping on a on a plane and jetting off and you're never more than you know 24 or 36 hours away on a plane from uh, returning to the homeland it's 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 a much more permanent uh, state of affairs but um no look i think we've we've, we've given you a good briefing and grounding on, on the on the concept of immigration and the the themes but uh it's probably now over to John to, to give us a summary of the, the plot of this story, and then uh, we can we can dive in and start dissecting the story in, in, in the context of, of emigration. Right, yeah, so Evelyn's story is, is roughly broken down into two parts. There's a large first part of the story where Evelyn is basically sitting by a, a dusty curtain or a window, and she's reflecting on her life. She's reflecting on her youth, the, her family, people she grew up with, um, her relationship with her father and mother uh, her father is um well was, would chase the children with a stick and would beat her brothers and, and lately he started to, to threaten to beat her as well um her mother died in uh she she died and she she left some sort of and en- she spoke some sort of enigmatic words just before she died i will discuss more about her later as well um, and she also reflects, of course, on her her beau or her partner Frank, who she's planning to get married with in Buenos Aires. Uh, how their relationship, uh, how their courtship has gone, how um, yeah, how and also Frank's relationship with her father. Um, 
And so she reflects on all these things, uh, and she, she does this while she's sitting at the window. So during the first part of the story, yeah, we, we just see her, we see this image of her sitting at the window and she's reflecting. And then the story jumps forward and now she's at the port with Frank getting ready to emigrate. Um, and she is um, unsure about things. She uh, is having doubts. I mean, we've seen these doubts already in the first part, a little bit in her dialogue. Uh, but now she, uh, when the push comes to shove and Frank is trying to bring her onto the ship, she withholds her, I mean, she pulls back and she holds onto her railing and, uh, yeah, she doesn't board the ship with him. Uh, and then in the final image, she is, 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 turns to face him, but kind of looks at him with a very sort of blank expression. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll also touch on that, uh, that image as well. So, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's roughly what happens in this story. Um, Lachlan, what, what sticks out to you about this story or, or how would you like to approach this? You know, if, if we maybe want to kick off with, um, just the, the opening image of, of Evelyn sitting in the, in the, sitting in the window, watching the, the light, the evening kind of coming in, watching the light dying. And I think this is something we've touched on in a few of the other earlier stories as well. The idea of, of, of light as a, a framing device or, or a, a, a linguistic tool or a narrative tool to, to, to frame the story. And, and, you know, I think Joyce uses that to, to, to great effect here. You're, you're kind of, as Evelyn shuts down or, or recollects on her life and closes the chapter nearly on, 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 on this, uh, this part of her life, we're seeing that light or we're, we're, we're envisaging that light kind of dying in the, in the windowsill. So I think that, 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 that in and of itself is, is interesting and it, it immediately frames the narrative in the context of a, an ending or a, a termination or a transition period, a, a, this kind of twilight moment. Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the, or the verb Joyce uses in, in that regard is, is interesting. He says that, uh, well, she sat at the window watching the evening invade the avenue. So this word invade is already a sort of a, a threatening word, right? It's uh, already a foreboding word. Yeah, as you read this story, when you get to the end, it almost feels obvious that she was never going to go because there's all these uh, little hints like that, like like the word invade or like these foreboding little indicators uh, the whole way through the story. Um, but it's it's not obvious, I think, the first time you read it. And it's it's similar to, to the experience of reading uh, an encounter in an earlier story where you... Um, you know, we have these kind of indications that maybe the relationship between the two boys is not a, a such a friendly one, or not a uh, that the that the protagonist maybe has some ill feeling towards the the other character, uh, Mahani. But uh, but yeah, but it's I think Joyce is very subtle in how he does it. No, absolutely, and I mean, I think as well just to to, to even acknowledge um, in in regard to this story is the fact that this is the first female narrator that we've um, encountered in the in the collection so far. So the first three have all been male, and in this one we're we're dealing with a female narrator, Evelyn. And I think the second aspect is that dual level framing device that, that, that Joyce uses here. So the opening and closing are happening in the, the immediate or the now of the, the narrative where you have Evelyn sitting in, in the windowsill holding these letters and then a large section in the middle is Evelyn narrating her own life and, and, and reminiscing on her own perspective now on what happened in her life up to the point that, that brought her up to that point and I, I think that creates an interesting duality nearly to the the, the narrative that she, she's offering there where she is um, 
talking about her own thoughts or, or narrating effectively her own history or her own past in a way that I think the previous stories did not do in that they were less retrospective but rather were, were narrating the immediacy or what was happening at them at the time so it creates a, a greater level of, of dissonance or, or cognitive dissonance I suppose between what we are experiencing or what we're seeing as readers and what actually happened creating a, a question or, or introducing a, a possibility of unreliability in, in, in the narrative section in the middle. Is Evelyn's father as, as good or bad as, as, as she suggested he was? And is, is, is Frank as loving or caring as, uh, again, Evelyn suggested she, he was? And it, it, uh, it's interesting as well, because I, I, I suppose this, this then introduces more doubt or questions into, into the reader's mind as to what exactly is, is, is happening here? Who is the not hero, but I, I suppose who's on the right side and, and has, has the decision that Evelyn's made been, uh, been the right one. Yeah, I think one other contrast with the earlier stories is that in the earlier stories, you have these boys who fantasize about foreign lands. You know, in, a, in an encounter, you have the boys sitting, watching the, the boats go away. And in, in Araby, you kind of have this fantasy of a, a Middle Eastern world or bazaar, whereas Evelyn is, is actually has the potential to to live that fantasy in some in some ways that she can actually go away on the ship and go to some foreign land far away from Ireland. Uh, I suppose the point you made about the the accuracy of of what Evelyn is telling us or how reliable she is as a as a narrator is 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 kind of evident in in how she describes her father at the start of how she recalls it she recalls him you know chasing down the kids and 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 beating them with the stick but then she follows it up by saying that was when he wasn't that bad he wasn't so bad then we seem seem to be happy then she even uses the word seem to be happy so she's even doubting her own recollection uh, of, of events and and as it goes along she 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 kind of alternates between these quite uh, horrific recollections of how her mother died or of how her father threatening to beat her and then towards the end as 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 she's uh, weighing up the decision more she she reflects on her father again she says oh well he could be quite sweet sometimes she recalls that uh, when she was sick he he came in and, and told her a ghost story and brought her food uh, and, and and that one time when when her mother was still alive he he wore her her mother's bonnet to kind of entertain the kids so she she has these conflicting um recollections of her father um and i think i think it's it's instructive of her of her attitude towards the decision she has to make you know what what uh, what kind of version of her father comes to the fore at what point Interesting, like a, a modern or a very modernist take or postmodernist take on, on, on this. You could almost have a, a decision meter fluctuating up and down depending on um, what point you are in the narrative as to, to how likely she is to, to, to go or to stay. Because I think that that's um, in some ways the crux of, of, of the story is a um, almost a, a story about decision making. And the denouement at the end of the story is 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 the revelation of, of, of what decision she makes. Um, I think look we've 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 touched on a lot of different different concepts there, and I think one one to, to, to probably dive into a little bit more is is, is probably on the, the the idea of emigration and, and I suppose the to, to touch on briefly at, at the beginning. You know I think Joyce frames the narrative, and again it's it's. Uh, Within within the context of the re the reminiscence by by Evelyn, she she talks about the the families that she used to play with in the field, the divines, the waters, the duns, Lucio, the cripple, she and her brothers and sisters. Ernest, however, never played; he was too grown up. Um, 
and then you know later on she she kind of uh, acknowledges that that was a long time ago she and her brothers and sisters were all grown up her mother was dead tizzy dunn was dead too and the waters had gone back to england everything changes now she was going to go away like the others to leave her home you know and it, it introduces this idea of change happening inevitably people die uh, families move away there's 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 that subtle reference to the waters moving to england and the idea that um you know change and, and, and movement is inevitable it's interesting in in that section that there's this there people who are died and the people who have emigrated are, are related one you know together there's a juxtaposition of death and emigration and i think this touches on point you made in the, in the preceding discussion regarding emigration that emigration is a one-way ticket people who have emigrated they don't have much contact with with the people back home that you know perhaps you can write letters and so on but it's unlikely that you'll see these people again and i think that topic is brought up again in in the there's an image of a priest that hangs over uh, a broken harmonium on the wall uh, and the evelyn doesn't know who this man is when her when her father walks by this image he says he's in melbourne now and that's that's all she knows basically he's been reduced to basically just a destination um so she doesn't uh she doesn't know um who this emigrant is but i think it also kind of highlights that she doesn't know not not only the the emigrant but also this theme of emigration she doesn't know what emigration entails right she knows he's in melbourne but she doesn't know anything about his life and so she has a lack of knowledge i think that contributes to her indecision there is a clear sense of ambiguity and moving into the unknown in the idea of emigration in the, in the first instance and I think throughout the, the story as a whole and I, I, I think in some ways we can boil down her decision making to you know a binary choice between a terrible known and a terrifying unknown and whether uh, whether the life with Frank is everything it's, it's, it, it could possibly be. I mean, I think um, the act of emigrating, as you say, is, 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 is a one-way ticket. And, and you do wonder, Evelyn mentions, she references herself, that at the beginning of her relationship with Frank, you know, she was only going with him for the joy or the fulfillment of, of, of having a partner and being, being courted and that, that, that excitement that that brings inherently. And then it's only after time she developed, she started to develop feelings for him. And it's, it's from that then that this idea of, of immigration as escape or as a form of escapism really comes to the fore. So I suppose that, that, that creates the question then of, does she know what she's getting into? Does she, is she volunteering for this? Or is this something that she's using as a tool to, to escape from the, the drudgery and the, the, the concerns and fear that she has in her current life or the, the life that she's experienced up to this point yeah as you say at the start of, of of their courtship she enjoys more the being courted and and then later she kind of develops a feeling for him um and i think uh, regarding her decision then joyce writes she had consented to go away to leave her home um and so is this a, this even a decision she makes or is it a decision that frank is making for her it's not she had decided to go away she had consented to go away so it seems like someone else is is kind of pushing this thing um and immediately after that the next sentence is was that wise so yeah even though the decision seems to be made it's also it seems to be a decision that's forced upon her and it seems you know it's decisions about made and not made at this point and um 
yeah, I mean, we've, we've kind of touched on the theme of, of paralysis through the first three stories, but I think if any story in the collection embodies this idea of paralysis, it is, it is the story, Evelyn. Um, and because she's torn between these, these two, as you say, this terrible known and this completely unknown. Um, and it's just, it's an impossible decision for her to make. She doesn't have a good family life. She's kind of been forced to adopt this role of homemaker after her mother died, but also mother for, for um, her parents' remaining children. Um, and she also has a, has a job in the store where she's not really respected or treated well. And so her life is, yeah, as we said, like pretty, pretty awful. And so, uh, and so when, you, when you read the story, you think any escape from this life could only be a good thing. But her only way of, of extricating herself from this life is to make this dramatic move, into this leap into the unknown. There's no easy path for her away from her current life. You know, she can't you know, take any sort of incremental step or anything. She has to make this almost violent break. And for someone who has such a, such a small life in some ways, you know, she doesn't have so many people in her life. She's very like routine-based. She has her job and she has her family. And so... I think it's very hard for her to go from that small life where she's, uh, you know, embedded in a routine to go from to something completely unknown is it's such a jump that it, it makes the decision to do so almost impossible. Definitely. No, there's um, there's a serious question there over how she makes that decision. And I think that's that's what this story really is at its, at its core is this is the exploration or this is Joyce's meditations or thoughts on the nature of decision making and the chains of paralysis i suppose or the the limitations of paralysis and on an individual's decision making you know i think uh, the the classic writer's question of um you know is this the most interesting part of your character's life and if not why aren't you writing about that is is absolutely evident in uh, in this story this is the most interesting thing to ever happen in in, in evelyn hill's life and you know that that's that's why this 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 story is is written, and that's that's why we we see this perspective on it that this is the crux of of, of paralysis. And you know, I think um, we we probably talked around it a lot, but if we if we if we jump to the end and and, and put that in context, the, the 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 story ends with with Evelyn not getting on a boat with Frank. And you know, I think if I can if I can read out the final quote, um, this is after after. Frank has, has jumped on the boat and, and Evelyn is, is, is just standing on the, on the side watching him go away. She, uh, she's described as uh, her eyes gave him no sign of love or farewell or recognition. And I think that that moment really speaks to the destruction or the, de- the desolation of, of Evelyn and, and, the, and the paralysis has, has ultimately overtaken her. And I mean, I think in, interesting as well is uh, the perspective there shifts again. It's, it's, it's not you know, I saw or I had no sign of love or farewell or recognition. It's 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 describing her eyes as as giving him no sign of love or farewell or recognition and, and I suppose to, to speak as well just to acknowledge that three tier structure of, of you know, at the at the highest level she has no love for him anymore. Nor does she offer him farewell and finally she doesn't even recognise him. The idea that he's uh, nothing to her that 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 this is uh this was a passing fancy or this was a a temporary relationship and and he having got on the boat has like the priest in melbourne or her mother has died and effectively she no longer knows who he is or or knows what he is yeah it's uh it's a a brutal image uh i suppose if we if we see Frank as as being a, a benevolent savior, it's 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 quite a crushing, you know, to, to to look at someone like that that you think 
you know you think you've a lo love for each other and, and he looks out at her and sees her completely blank is is quite brutal um i it's hard to know exactly what you know what evelyn is 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 feeling in that moment i think yeah i think you kind of touched on there that like he is she doesn't recognize her life and his life as being compatible that you know uh, as i mentioned earlier like she's embedded in these routines that are determined by family um but also by her by her class and by her status as a woman of course you know that she has these you know these roles she must adopt and that to get on that boat with him would be to to renounce who she is in, in a very fundamental way uh and of course she she wants happiness that's that's the tragic thing about the stories in her deliberations she's like she deserves to be happy but she's in the end and it almost chooses unhappiness because unhappiness is 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 more who she is we've kind of um touched a little bit on on frank's intentions it's it's one of the things critics have spent some time arguing about if you believe that frank is honorable in his intentions then it's it's clear it's a clear tragedy but hugh kenner has argued that frank is, is clearly some sort of scam artist that uh if we look at how he is involved, his seduction of Evelyn, as it's related to us by Evelyn, she says that uh, he, he, tell, he told her that he landed on his feet in, in Argentina. And uh, Hugh Kenner singles out that phrase, landed on his feet, as something that's kind of uh, drawn from a fiction, drawn from almost a, a, a propagandist idea of you know, how good emigration can be, and that he's kind of retelling this to her in a way that seduces her. Um, and, you know, we see elsewhere in the story that she does have a love of, of fiction, of stories. You know, she goes to see this, um, the bohemian girl um, with him. And that's one of the things that, uh, that she really appreciates about him. We also see that the thing she appreciates about her father is that his daddy tells her this ghost story. And so, yeah, so you, you get the idea that uh, Evelyn is capable of being seduced by fictions. And so perhaps the conclusion from that you can draw is that uh, you know, maybe Frank's intentions aren't completely honourable. It's certainly a an interesting idea, and it's 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 a challenging one. I have often in you know reading the story and 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 considering it, I don't know if I like Evelyn as a character, and I mean like like in 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 the most specific sense of do do I agree with her decision and I think a huge aspect or a huge factor in my thinking on it is my feelings on Frank and and, and similarly to, to like the critical consensus I've, I've wavered back and forth as on my feelings on Frank as to whether I believe Frank is a legitimately honorable gentleman who's come back to Ireland and, and, and genuinely wants to to help Evelyn or if he is a, a scammer who's you know let one slip through his fingers essentially that he, he, he you know almost we, we've seen the failed um, attempted scams you know I, I'd I think at, at this stage in the collection if you if you're reading it chronologically or, or at least in, in in the order in which it's structured you are probably leaning more towards oh Frank's a good guy and you know this is another case of our protagonist not recognizing their own feelings and you know it's a clever play as, as, as we get to the end of it we realize oh the, the seeds of, of these ideas were here all the way through whereas I think then considering it in, in the round or looking at the, the story in the context of the collection as a whole, you are more inclined to see Frank as potentially the villain. I think he, he exhibits a lot of the characteristics or a lot of the facets that other characters within the, the, the collection or at different points have exhibited and, and it, it, it does call into question Frank's intentions. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking again, one of my favorite stories, uh, Two, two Galants, 
and Lenahan and Corley there are have a lot of the same features or facets um as 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 Frank does and I think similarly you you have this idea of the the charming boisterous young man the young buck um kind of uh, luring or, or or attracting all these young women and then over time it's it's revealed this is a lot of, of puff and bluster and that the, the reality is is significant significantly different to uh to what they had initially uh projected or, or offered up yeah i think like you said it is is hard to finally and, and definitely say who is frank uh, and what are his intentions and um other critics have even suggested that Margot Norris uh, has suggested that uh, this is a deliberate strategy by Joyce, that Joyce wants us to be uh, as invested in Evelyn's indecision as readers as she is as a character, that we are given imperfect information just as Evelyn herself has imperfect information. You know, She has these notions of, of what emigration is, but she doesn't have any definite uh, knowledge of what, what her life will be like. And, and yet, to touch on the other point you made, uh, you know, you have these themes that run throughout throughout the, throughout the collection, like paralysis. And so if you read it from a, from a perspective of paralysis, you look at it and maybe say, uh, this is a, a story of a paralyzed woman who can't make the decisions she needs to make to get on with her life, and she should have gone on the boat. One of the other themes that runs throughout the, the collection is this kind of idea of, of love and seduction and, and, and a deception and how these things are collected. And we've thought it already in, in Arabi, there's kind of a uh, a deception at the heart of, of, of a love narrative and, and as you mentioned two gallants and so if you look at it with that theme in mind you kind of think uh frank is some sort of scammer that uh you know he's, he's intending to mislead her in some way and so it's really it is really impossible i think to, to come to, to a definite conclusion on, on that so we we've kind of talked about what what awaits her when uh if she if she does go or what what, what is is likely to happen depending on frank's uh, intentions um, but yeah, we we also maybe look at, at like her home life, her her father and her mother, and and maybe we can look at the relationships there, um, and particularly this her her mother's death scene. Um, uh, do you want to do you want to talk about that a little bit, Lachlan? Yeah, no, I mean I think that 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 was definitely where I was um, directionally heading myself as well. I think the, the 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 final piece of the puzzle nearly is 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 the domestic life, and you know as we we touched on in the beginning, there's. Uh, certain degree of violence within the family and you know i think the severity of that violence is definitively linked to the death of the mother but i think there is an undercurrent of that that was always there and there, there's always that perpetual threat of, of violence from the father um i think in, in the context of this story and specifically in the, the the death of the mother you know it's um i think the the, the line here is, uh, she trembled as she heard again her mother's voice saying constantly with foolish insistence, Derevan Saran, Derevan Saran. She stood up in a sudden impulse of terror, escape, she must escape, Frank would save her. He would give her life, perhaps love too, but she wanted to live. And, you know, I think that, that little passage or that segment um, does an awful lot in a, in, a, in a very short, you know, piece of text or a very few uh, number of words you've you've uh, introduced this concept of uh Derevan Saran which will will you know explain uh, briefly and, and then also I suppose uh, Evelyn's response to this memory that's the final statement of the retrospective narrative and immediately then the the, the, the narrative flips to the modern day with with Evelyn realizing she has to get out she, she needs to do this and instantly linked with that is that 
Frank is her opportunity to escape and love is a secondary consideration as part of that. I think those, all of that is, is, is happening in, the, in, the, in that very short segment. So um, I don't know if we, if we talk about uh, Dervon Saran first, that's um, gibberish. It's the first thing to say. It, 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 it doesn't have any inherent meaning. It's, it's, it's not English or Irish. Um, critically, there's uh, two schools of thought on this. Either it's some kind of derived Irish that either Joyce himself invented as a something someone who doesn't speak great Irish would have said in and you know has various meanings linked to the idea of escape or and, and, and seems to be some kind of instruction to escape more modern critics who have I suppose a stronger grounding in, in both literary criticism and the, the Irish language have argued that it's gibberish Joyce even with his non-fluent but strong understanding of the Irish language would have not been able to, I suppose, construct or, or would have been able to construct a, a more clear link between whatever intended expression he was trying to achieve and the the, the, the phrase Dervon Saran, which suggests that it is actually just pure gibberish. And the idea is that Evelyn has recognized in her mother a complete loss of, of, of mental capacity and you know that that's the trigger for her desire to escape is not that the the words themselves mean escape it's that their absence of meaning requires Evelyn to escape to, to get out of this life to to get away rather than to follow instructions and and, and, and to leave on the, on the back of that but uh, I don't have John thoughts thoughts here yeah, I, I think uh, her mother's life is, as you said, Evelyn's primary motivation to uh, to leave. She's saying, "I will not. I would not end up like my mother." And uh, even the description of her of her mother's life, uh, she says, "The pitiful vision of her mother's life laid its spell on the very quick of her being. That life of commonplace sacrifices, closing in final craziness." And of course, the final craziness is this is this nonsense phrase. I think yeah, if we if we look at it by biographically and looking at Joyce's life at the same time as I mentioned when he was writing this was in the in the period where he returned home to Ireland as his own mother was dying and uh, uh, and also as, as he was courting uh, Nora Barnacle and he, he actually wrote to Nora Barnacle about his mother about his mother's death uh, and I think uh, it, it kind of reflects on 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 Evelyn's uh, on Evelyn's view of, of her mother's life uh, and if you read uh, Joyce's uh, view of his mother's life at that point you'll maybe hear some parallels so I'll read out what he wrote to her um, he writes my mind rejects the whole present social order and Christianity home the recognized virtues classes of life and religious doctrines how could I like the idea of home my home was simply a middle-class affair ruined by spendthrift habits which I have inherited my mother was slowly killed I think by my father's ill treatment by years of trouble and by my cynical frankness of con conduct when I looked on her face as she lay in her coffin, a face grey and wasted with cancer, I understood that I was looking on the face of a victim and I cursed the system which had made her a victim. So pretty powerful words. Joyce had a lot of um, complicated feelings about his mother's death and uh, his, uh, his guilt over his mother's death also comes out in, in Ulysses. But I think what, what, what's clear in that quote is, is he sees the, the structures that are kind of holding his mother in place. You know, he mentions family, he mentions religion, 
Uh, and of course, he mentions, uh, you know, uh, the Spendthrift House. His father was notorious uh, in terms of wasting money, in terms of drinking, in terms of um, his father was a bit of a character, I suppose, a very social and gregarious man, but not a provider for his family. Um, and so, yeah, you can see this, you know, a lot of parallels in the story. You also have a, have a father who drinks in this story. Yeah, so I think um, absolutely we see a lot of that type of character, that archetype of the, the drunken father kind of abusing the family and stealing money is, it is probably the correct phraseology to use there to describe it, the, the abuse of alcohol and I suppose the, the challenges faced by Irish culture and Irish society and women as ultimately victims, I suppose, of, of, of that patriarchal enforcement and, and, and that de facto position as, as as the man as simultaneous kind of provider and consumer of the family's wealth and you know I think that that, that links in a little bit as well with Evelyn stepping into that that role then as kind of generating the income for the family responsible for, for managing everything but ultimately beholden to her father's needs requirements and, and, and ultimately wants rather than the needs or desires and you know, I think that that crushing weight of male violence exerted over over the family is is is, is present throughout the story, but but especially in, in in this one and the idea of the mother as the the, the poor suffering victim is uh, is a challenging one. Yeah, absolutely, and I I think it's it's a role that she almost explicitly hands on to Evelyn. She asks her to keep the family together, and so she's very much stepping into her mother's place and you get the impression that if she if she does stay the violence that her her father um previously expended on her, on his her mother will will eventually come to her yeah i i think it is a, a tumultuous house uh, early on in this story we mentioned the, the image of the priest above the of the broken harmonium you know broken harmonium is, is quite a uh, a clear, uh, almost almost too obvious, you know, a statement of, of how things are in the family, how things are at the ha- in the house. But there's also this image uh, of the promises made to Blessed Mary Alacoc. Um, I was a little bit unfamiliar with this, but I did a little bit of research into it. And so Blessed Mary Alacoc was a French nun who lived in the, in the 17th century, and she was responsible for uh, popularizing uh, devotion to the Sacred Heart. So for those of you who are unfamiliar uh, the Sacred Heart is uh, uh, it's mostly an, an image of Jesus uh, where his, his heart is quite evident. Yes, yeah, so the image, images of, of, of the Sacred Heart are, are, were very prevalent in, in houses around Ireland. Uh, you know, I, I, I personally, I saw it in my, in my grandparents' house and, and many other houses that I might have visited, uh, my grandparents' friends and so on. Uh, and if you're interested in, in seeing an image of the Sacred Heart, we'll, we'll throw it up on uh, maybe Instagram and you can have a look if you follow us there by Dubliners. Yeah, but so to, to, then the promise is made. So, so um, yeah, Mary Alacock, Margaret Mary Alacock, she had an apparition from Jesus. And uh, she in, the, in this apparition, he said that if you if you devote yourself to me and if you follow, uh, you know, devote yourself to my Sacred Heart, I will uh, fulfill these promises for you. And so. Some of the promises um, made uh, include, I will establish peace in their families. Any family that's devoted to the Sacred Heart will have peace. Uh, I will bless these places where the image of my Sacred Heart shall be exposed and venerated. So, and yeah, for me, I, I, I didn't really know the meaning of this, this image growing up, but I always kind of knew it was, it, was a, it was a blessing on the home, on the family, on the place. Uh, and so, yeah, and so, and so this image where it's displayed, there's supposed to be peace, there's supposed to be 
harmony, there's supposed to be a good family life, and all those sort of things that are broken in the in this in this story. And so, um, even though Evelyn is a you know is a religious person, you know in her in her indecision, she turns to God and looking for guidance. But you can clearly see that God, or at least this devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, uh, ha- has not given them a peaceful family life, and that it has not led her to a, to a good outcome in her life. Um, Maybe a, a slight aside uh, in terms of what else I, I read when I was reading this is uh, yeah this this Margaret Mary Alacock uh, you know obviously very devoted to Jesus um, she wrote a, a testament to her devotion and she wanted to sign it in her own blood uh, and so uh, with the approval of uh, her superior sister in the in the convent she was in she carved the name Jesus into her breast and signed her testament to testament signifying her devotion to Jesus in her own blood. Uh, later, uh, the the wound where she had carved his name started to heal, and she was unhappy with this, so she kept trying to pick it open with a knife or cut it open repeatedly with a knife. Uh, eventually, this also wasn't effective, so she tried to to burn it open, uh, to burn it permanently into herself, and uh, yeah, ended up in the infir- infirmary as a result. So, yeah, quite a quite a severe devotion in her case, and so even in her pers- in in Margaret Mary Alcock's personal life, you see this idea of, of violence, uh, I guess male violence, if we consider God and Jesus as males being enacted on female bodies and, and, and in their devotion to them. And so you can almost draw a parallel with uh, Evelyn's devotion to uh, her family, to supporting to her role as, as housemaker and mother and, uh, and the violence that will likely be enacted on her by continuing to remain there. No, I, I, I agree with you completely there. I think it's a really interesting parallel. And, you know, I think for any of our listeners who aren't... Uh, deep Joycean scholars um thank you it's great to have you and one thing you you can be certain of in in any Joycean you know piece or art that you you encounter is that he is 100% familiar with absolutely every reference that he includes in any of his works so you know it's 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 a it's a safe assumption to say that in in referencing specifically referencing uh Margaret Mary Alacock he knows the context and the background of that story and is very definitively including that allusion as a specific reference or a specific allusion to the act of dev- devoted violence, I suppose, enacted on a female's body in, in, in respect of maintaining the family and maintaining the, 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 the male's um, lineage. And, you know, I, I think the parallels are probably more clear to my mind anyway than, than, than maybe even you're, you're pushing there, John, in terms of Evelyn and, you know, Evelyn's mother sacrificing themselves to maintain the family life, which I think contrasts interestingly with then, I think it's, it's, it's her brother Harry has, uh, is, is off down in Kildare, I think it is, working for the church or working on restoring churches and, you know, periodically sends as much money as he can back to the, back to the family. And, you know, I think that, that ties in as well with the idea of uh, males refusing to sacrifice for the family in the first instance, the, the idea of simony that we, uh, that we talked about at the, at the, in the first story as well, the idea of, 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 of paying for... Uh, of the church paying for for money you know it's it, it's it's telling that harry specifically works on restoring churches so he is kind of helping to maintain or or, or to build the, the the church's power and and in in the country and 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 receiving a, a financial compensation for that which only a small portion of which ultimately returns back to the family with who are 
in the first instance devoted to to religion and required i suppose to require that support or, or, or need that help and support which they they ultimately aren't receiving so i think there's a there's an interesting kind of uh mishmash or, or or a combination of those concepts or ideas of of, of kind of paralysis simony all of all of these ideas kind of floating around and being distilled down in, in into this character of evelyn it's 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 a very rich narrative and a rich rich story yeah and uh, yeah, i guess as we mentioned at the top of the recording you know evelyn is one of the the few female protagonists in the collection up till now we've had uh protagonists who are all male but you do get the impression reading the the stories of female protagonists or even the stories where female characters appear that uh you know they often suffer much more so than the than the males in the stories that they are even more bound by paralysis than the males that their role is even more constrained by the males in the stories um and 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 a lot of the the female characters are are extremely passive as well i've mentioned here that evelyn is kind of she consented to go that she was looking for someone else to make the decision she's also asking god for guidance she's looking again for someone else to make the decision her father is trying to make decisions for her and so it's it's very hard for her to be an active character uh, in any regard and i think maybe that ties into part of why you said you're not sure if you like her as a character is that she is she is so constrained that it's it's hard for her to to do anything really uh do anything other than what is dictated to her um and yeah, I think later we'll see in a, a mother later a, a, a character, a female character who does try to, to take the initiative and we'll see how that plays out. But uh, for Evelyn, uh, unfortunately, uh, she doesn't seem to have much uh, ability to make her own decisions. No, and I mean, I think um, interesting, as, as you say, we'll see a, a, a different version or a different version of motherhood in uh, a, a mother and, and also I think uh, Mrs. Mooney and Mrs. Mooney's daughter in a boarding house also offer uh, interesting, contrasting characters to uh, to to Evelyn in, in in this story. I think we've we've probably touched on most of the ideas, and, and John, I'll let you do a, a brief wrap up on this in a minute. But I I think one tangential point that that's that's more just interesting to uh, to note is um, Oliver Sinchin Gogarty was a, a colleague and a. I suppose a friend of Joyce at the time, and um, he has a poem Valparaiso, or it's actually called the Ship, and was was translated into Irish as uh, Valparaiso. That um, I think, you know, it's very likely this was uh, in some way uh, at least inspired by uh, this story, Evelyn. I think if I can uh, briefly read out the poem to you, it's um, so a ship arrived from Valparaiso, dropped its anchor in the bay. Her name reminded me of kingdoms, sunlit countries far away. Come along with me, she whispered, far from cloud and mist for Yule. Find beneath the Andes mountains an awesome city, bright as a jewel. But I was young and would not wander. With hope and youth I chose instead the promises of earths and fable from the wondrous books I read. The ship sailed off into the vapour, shining like gold, its mass so bright. It wrote its stories on the parchment, high amidst the stars at that night. She will return to me, however, the white city I still conceive, that by the sea of peace eternal, I too shall be if I believe. And I mean, I think that um, that poem touches on a lot of ideas, and it's 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 the Irish translation is actually a, a, one of the Ireland, Ireland as a nation's favorite poems. But I I, I think this this story is uh, is absolutely, a, you know, arguably in inarguably perhaps a, a, an inspiration for for that poem, the idea of escaping off to. Valparaiso, this 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 sunlit city, this uh, 
jewel in the in the South American continent, and the, ultimately the rejection of that idea. The the uh, it's 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 a story about the uh, the failure to uh, to get away to to escape from the Irish nation. The the, the gripping you know one is one is trapped in the uh, the promises of verse and fable in the in the wondrous books, and I I, I think just given the social connection between uh, Joyce and Oliver Singe and Gogarty and the the reality of this this poem coming out uh, about 14 15 years after after the collection was published by Joyce it's uh, it's 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 interesting and it's, it's it's telling um for for context Oliver Singe and Gogarty is uh, lived with Joyce very briefly in uh, one of the Martello towers that that forms the staging or of the opening of uh, Ulysses as well so it's a uh, it's interesting, and uh, there, there's, I suppose, potentially a book mulligan, maybe loosely um, based on, on on the character or, or on the the real life person of Oliver Singe and Gogarty as well. So uh, just just an interesting bit of uh, background and context there. But look, uh, we've we've talked extensively here about the themes and ideas and of of, of emigration, of, of violence within the family, and and the, and the role of the women and and things like that. And you know, I think we we acknowledged as well. That the Evelyn is the first female narrator in the story, but I, I suppose it's as well just to, to add in this is the beginning of the adolescent cycle or the the, the post adolescent cycle in um, in the in the collection. So I think we we we've we've left childhood and are very firmly into the the more adolescent period of the the story, and we we'll talk more about that as a theme and as a what that means for the narratives and the stories over the next couple of episodes, but. Uh, I don't know, John, if you want to wrap us up on this episode, any passing final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it is a, a very powerful story. It's an extremely visual story. You know, I think especially, especially the moments that are described that are as they're happening, where she's sitting at the window, a uh, very visual image, she's sitting with the dust. Also, as, as she stands at the dock, uh, yeah, you have the, the image of the black boat and, 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 and her gripping onto the railings, and it's all very, very physical description um it's almost a very traditional sort of dramatic moment that you don't get in a lot of the stories you know a lot of the stories have these dramatic moments but they're a little bit more subtle this you could almost see it in a hollywood film right like this moment where the two lovers are you know about to depart from each other and they have to make the decision but stephanie if you're if you're looking for a way into the collection this is a good one to start in and it's also as you mentioned we've moved away from childhood and we were going to be moving to other themes but we have this idea of uh in, in the next story after the race of people f- coming from outside Ireland and kind of how uh, someone who's living in Ireland interacts with them and how they're, that they're maybe their experiences within Ireland or the life they've had up to that point doesn't really equip them to uh, deal with a, a more um, sophisticated or experienced uh, character. Um, so yeah, we hope you'll join us in the next episode for After the Race and uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Uh, I've been Lock and Coin, and I've been John Cofeller. Thank you very much. Goodbye.